December 15th, halfway through the, through the last month of the year, uh, Tuesday, and you're back on another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. Uh, your host, Trey Watson, joined as always by Tom Stevens. Tom, it's a little chilly out there today, buddy. Dude, it is so cold. I tried to uh, go to the gym this morning, and so I just went out of the house with like the, the shorts on. Um, wasn't pretty. Not a, not, not a good idea, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is our, our uh, delayed, but uh, still excited about uh, kind of mirror image to our last Tuesday podcast with Damon Thayer for legislative preview. And uh, we've got uh, the Senate minority leader, our old buddy Morgan McGarvey on with us. Senator McGarvey, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm doing well. Good to see you guys. How is uh, everything in McGarvey land up there in Louisville? Have you, have you been driven nuts yet with the kids at home? It is uh, it is a challenge this time around. You know, when, <laughs> when everything was in the complete quarantine in the spring, the weather was nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you look at days where it's been raining all day and it's 40 degrees outside, it, it's a little tougher. But no, I mean, it's, it's, it's challenged like so many families. We've got three kids, third grade and younger. My wife works full time, too. So um, it's been it's been some interesting moments, but we're all making it. That, that's what we that's why we've assembled a giant gym in our basement, like monkey <laughs> monkey bars and rope climbing ladders and like rope swings. I'm just waiting for the first one to come and yell that the other one's fallen off something and broken a wrist. But, uh, you know, at least something to keep them active during the winter. Yeah, no, that's um, one of one of the favorite one of the favorite makeshift toys we have right now is an old mattress. Um, so it just gets it's a wrestling mat it's a trampoline it's um you know it, it's like you said you gotta you gotta do what you can well christmas is here you, you can get you can get uh you know as you get amazon packages and get the great big cardboard boxes and make stair sleds out of them yes yeah. <laughs> nothing like an optional to not, trip to the emergency room during right, yeah. the covid outbreak yeah the goal is to not go to the hospital right well you got now. you got the mattress to land on the bottom of the stairs you know you're fine yeah. although i don't know i don't know how your kids are right now I mean, if you mentioned christmas time that adds a layer of complexity to it right because the excitement level is building every day um on top of the fact they're still in school virtually we're all in the same house all day long all the time and it's just I, th- I think we're going to look back on this fondly, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting mix. Thank God for daycare and karate camp. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We're going to hit a couple of quick news items before we get into the legislative update. Uh, and let's, I guess, start with the biggest news. Uh, the Pfizer COVID vaccine is here being administered. And uh, it sounds like Moderna had their first kind of hearing thing uh, today and looks on track to be approved by Friday. Uh, I don't know. Morgan, if you've heard or Tom, if you've read anything, do we know we've been given numbers on Pfizer doses? Do we know anything about how many doses of the, of the Moderna vaccine we might be getting in state when that's available? I haven't seen anything public on that yet. Um, I think it's going to be more than the Pfizer vaccine initially. Uh, and, 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 and that is that is here. another one that requires the deep freeze. So, you know, yes. that's another one that's, that's you're pretty much that's only going to be for nursing homes, uh, you know, hospital uh, employees, because it's, it's got to be you're going to have to pretty much get it in the vicinity of a place that has a pharmaceutical level deep freeze. Um, 
you know, I thought the, the, the distribution of the vaccine was interesting because it's somewhat geographical, somewhat based on hospital size. I know there's a frustration here in Lexington that uh, St. Joseph, the two St. Joseph hospitals combined are larger than than Central Baptist. However, their CHI is getting zero doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Um, I actually went and looked up the numbers, and, and I think it's just because Baptist is a system. The, the one up there in Louisville, Morgan, is, is, I mean, they're like, a couple hundred beds behind UK for the second biggest hospital in the state. So, you know, when you look at it, it makes sense why Baptist isn't getting them. But I know there's some frustration in Lexington that you got a lot of, a lot of beds there that are exposed with, between the two CHI hospitals that are not getting any doses, but you do what you can with what you got. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, obviously we want everybody who needs one to get a vaccine as quickly as possible. And, and the nice thing about this is, is as much has been politicized about this pandemic, and, and I, you know, you and I've talked about this before, I think far too much of it's been politicized. I really do think that you're seeing the health experts, the logistics expert, experts, you know, government officials on both sides coming together and say, how do we distribute this in the most effective and smartest way possible? Not going to say there's not going to be some mistakes along the way, but I mean, I think you have people really working together towards the common goal of getting as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible in the order that makes sense. And, and shout out to uh, to UPS Worldport for the massive part they're playing in in distribution. You know, I've, we've talked about in the podcast before, but a lot of people don't realize. You know, you have you have to store this stuff at, at sub hundred sub hundred degrees, and you know, that includes in the facilities where it's you know logistically being transferred from one plane to another and moved around. And pretty much the only place the planet that has the has the the storage space of that level of freezer is UPS Worldport. So I mean they're playing a vital important vitally important part globally in the distribution of this vaccine. No, that's exactly right. And I mean two things about that. Yeah, I mean absolutely shout out to the men and women at UPS, especially here in Louisville. I know a lot of people who've been working long nights to make that happen. So it's awesome to see them doing that and uh, and the teamsters who are helping out. I think that's great. Uh, you know, give them all a, a big shout out. It also shows, I mean, you know, this, you know, I'm a little bit of a policy wonk, right? I mean, this shows what smart policy planning does. Um, and it was a tough decision when they did it, but it was controversial to some extent. But the Louisville Airport expansion is the reason we have the UPS World Port here. And when you, when you make those strategic decisions um, like that, then you, know, you attract UPS, we become a logistics hub, which is naturally suited for us. And we're playing a major part um, in the world's response to the COVID so you're uh, saying inf virus. infrastructure investment is important. We may get to that you know, in the second half of the podcast. Funny, funny how that works, isn't it, Trey? <laughs> um, I'm glad you brought it up. WHAS is reporting that we've got 76,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine coming uh, two weeks. All right, so that's that's double what we got of uh, of Pfizer's. That's 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 yeah. good news. Um, school openings pushed back slightly a little bit from what the governor originally announced. I, I love Fayette County. The governor recommended not starting back in person till, till January 11th, Fayette County school board uh, within about two hours announced that, Oh, well, yeah, we're not coming back till, till January 11th at the earliest now uh, sticking, sticking very close to the governor's guidelines. I still think that there is a 0.0% .0 chance that Fayette County uh, comes back anywhere near there. Uh, I know Morgan that uh, JCPS seems to, they seem to have taken the task of planning how to get back in person a lot more seriously than the Fayette County School Board did. That you know they didn't even start thinking about it till September. So I I don't see how Fayette gets back anytime but before like March. But uh, 
Well, then, no. are they actually looking at trying to do the entire school system, yeah. or are they trying yes. to compartmentalize it? No, it, it, it would be optional. You know, the governor's guidelines, and correct me if I leave something out here, Morgan, is you have to you have to have pop, proper PPE for students, faculty, and staff, and you have to make a a virtual option available to every student. Which I, I it seemed that it seemed just read the stories it was more of an issue with like AP classes and smaller, more targeted class things where. Um, they're trying to say, well, no, you have, you have to be in the classroom. We don't want to do you know, some sort of bifurcated thing. Um, but so everybody would, I guess the idea is at least in Fayette County, this is what they've been talking about since they canceled their planning for a, for a hybrid, uh, return in, in October, they've been saying that the idea was to give everyone the option to come back in person. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's interesting too, because I'm, I'm getting a ton of email about this, as you can imagine. I'm um, sure. Uh, from constituents. And this is one also from friends. I mean, because we're of the age where we've got kids in Jefferson County Public Schools. And so, you know, you hear a lot about what's going on. I do think it's important to note that, you know, the governor did close down schools recently around Thanksgiving. But, you know, a lot of people are saying the governor's got to open up schools, open up schools consistently when it's oftentimes been the local school board which made the, has made the decision not to be in school. And so I'm glad you brought that up just because, you know, the governor makes recommendations and I think anybody who's opposed to the idea that, you know, you, 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 well, I'll just say, I'm, I'm, I don't want to use a double negative. <laughs> you need to have the proper safety equipment when you go back to school right now, right? We should make that, a, we should be making that a huge priority to get that in the schools and to help them pay for it. But, you know, we've got to have, and proper safety for students and for staff and for faculty. And, um, and, and I think it's important to remember that all school boards are not created equal. And, you know, I have been, right. I, and I have been, I, I believe, at least in my mind, appropriately critical of Fayette County. The fact that they didn't even begin to start looking at creating a plan for hybrid schools until September and then abandoned that plan in October and said, eh, we'll just deal with it in January. You know, JCPS, for all the criticism they get from Republicans, they have been actively working on a way to get kids back into school. The numbers just haven't, haven't, haven't worked for them. Uh, you know, in a lot of other counties, I think uh, a, a good example was, Tom, was it Green or LaRue that went back at the very beginning? They were in school for like two or three days, and they said that our, our community spread numbers hit, hit, the, hit the point that we had previously planned uh and we're going to take a two-week break and, and, we'll, and we'll come back which a good school system that's what you should do you should have a plan you should execute it and you know if, if the plan's good if the plan's bad at least it's a plan and people know what to expect and you know some Green county yeah some school they came systems in there, there for like a week and left yeah some school yeah. systems like here in fake county they have had no plan and that's that's where it becomes a problem. That's where you have, I think, an especially frustrated group of parents here here in Lexington who are angry because there has never been a plan from the school board. Well, and and, and look, I'm just going to say I am not as familiar with what's going on in Fayette County as I am here, and even even parts in more rural areas of the state. Um, but Trey, you know, my sister used to teach in Fayette County schools, but yep. she she moved here. So, um, yeah. And but you say all school boards aren't created equally. I think that's an important point too, because so many times whether it's been about the proposed tax in Jefferson County, whether it's been about schools being in such a, you know, people are, are emailing, they're calling my office and saying, this is so unfair. We don't even have a voice in this. It's a good time to remind people that your school board members are elected. Right. Um, hey, Tom, you know? did you hear that? Did you hear that time? There's an election for school board. There's an election. <laughs> and I, I say that all the time. I mean, look, you know, right here in Jefferson County, in any county, I think this is true, but mm. you look at, uh, I think two of the most important offices you can elect really and truly are your school board members and your judges. 
and half the time people don't even know who they're voting for. Yeah, we 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 could have, we could have a long debate on judges. That's a, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a fun issue down the road for somebody else. Uh, hey, on but here, okay. So on Fayette County, though, just briefly, like I, it's great that you know we're getting back in the game, and and I would think that this has to be analogous to Jefferson County too. I, there's nothing on earth that you're going to be able to do to take the high schools that we have in Fayette County and make them meet CDC guidelines. It's not possible based on the attendance and the no. footprint of the buildings. Now you could you could you could surge and use that capacity and say look, we're not talking about high schools anymore. We're talking about getting kids educated. We've got to focus on the younger kids first on a sliding scale up. But there is no way if if you have to abide as you should the CDC guidelines and then you got OSHA overlay and all these other legal issues, you're not going to be back in high school say in Fayette County I mean it's just not going to happen I, I mean I still believe a, a, a split program where you use you, you use you have some students like high school students primarily who, who are still got to learn online because they're learning things and they can learn things on a zoom you can't learn proper study skills in the social development that a first grader or second grader needs you can't learn that on zoom and you know there, there's way there's ways you can get creative and do it i don't have faith in this school board to do it but you know you, you could you could do some people online and then use the space that they would normally be learning in to to spread out your your younger kids and and and, and have a have a larger environment for them to learn and i i don't i don't know how they're going to handle it but uh you know, I, I think one thing's clear is, especially for the younger kids, it's it it's becoming a imperative that they get back into into school, or else we're gonna. You know, I've said all all along, this is going to be a trillion dollar problem in twenty years once these kids who've lost a year of social development are adults. You know, we're we're gonna have it's gonna have far greater implications on the economy, society as a whole. And that gives us a little bit to the I think the legislative aspect of this, right? Because I mean, one of the frustrating things for me as a legislator, you run for office, you want to help, you want to help people, you want to solve problems. We've been out of session for the majority of the time we've been in COVID. Um, a lot of the things that have arisen really aren't legislative in nature, um, right? You know, the General Assembly doesn't ultimately decide whether kids go back to school in, in local school districts. We set how many hours they have to be in school, not, not, whether, not these types of things. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think we've got to deal with, you just mentioned it, Trey, there's going to be things that, that we've never seen before we have to deal with. And I think, you know, when we do the education budget this year, obviously I'm a big proponent of public education and and want to see that fully or even more funded than it has been in the past, but we're gonna have to include some extra dollars. And I think we have to include some extra dollars for things like intervention, um, for looking at mental health aspects, for looking at problems that have arisen for a lot of our kids, uh, no matter where they're from and what you think their background might be. But I think there's going to need to be some help there. And so, and so social work will probably need a, a bump in their budget as well. Cause they're going to be it, at the very least called on a lot more to go in and take a look, if not intervene. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's kind of move it along a little bit. Uh, indoor dining is back. So uh, you know, all those people who are sad about uh, schools not being open can go drown their sorrows at a bar uh, <laughs> and a, alternative option for those people direct uh, directs bourbon sales. Uh, I believe, yeah. I believe our, our, our friend Adam Koenig, during a committee hearing, posted the first official order for uh, for Bourbon Online, and uh, so uh, anybody in Kentucky, if you wanna you wanna buy your favorite uh, distilled beverage, uh, check out check out the, the distillery's websites, and uh, you you can order direct from direct from production now, which is which is great for our distillers. 
Hey, Senator, do you think that'll be a common activity for uh, members of the legislature in upcoming committee hearings is to continue online purchases <laughs> during the committee hearings or is this more of a maybe one-off? For those, maybe for those of us in the minority. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you get one positive, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, no, I, I think, I think it's a good thing. You know, that that's one quite honestly, we're, we're behind. We should have had direct shipping already. Uh, there's a lot of issues like that where we are behind. Um, it's an interesting mix in Kentucky, right? Where you have sort of these free market uh, people uh, meet the political realities of Kentucky and you're not able to get something like direct shipping. So, you know, I, I'm glad we have it. It's good for our, I mean, bourbon is one of our signature industries. We need to have it. It's also good for consumers. Um, and you know, some of the scare tactics I've heard over the past have never really been proven in any sort of data-driven way that this is increasing access to miners or, or something like that. Um, so that, that was a concern, but it was allayed, and I think it's a good thing we got it. I mean, I, I, I didn't need direct shipping in college to really get a hold of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, look, it's college, right? Are you, are you, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what your budget was in college, but I wasn't direct shipping the good stuff, right? You know, this is, Well, uh, when, when you're the guy doing the purchasing, you're taking the cut off the top, you know, which there you go. increases the quality that you're able to, to, to have access to. Uh, <laughs> we, we worked a gimmick during the World Equestrian Games where we set up a, we had a bourbon village. And we set up a, a like a shipping processing center there because one of the exceptions was you were allowed to ship it's like home goods back to yourself. So it's almost like if you can imagine you're moving so you could move like your personal effects. And so we would have people buy stuff, then walk up and say, oh, yes, these are my personal effects and check a box. And then they would ship it back to themselves at their house. So if they lived out of state. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, That's you awesome. know, there's yeah. always a way. I was kind of proud <laughs> yeah, of that, actually. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Electoral College voted yesterday and uh, Joe Biden, I guess it's still got to be confirmed by the uh, by the Congress, but uh, officially the president elect uh, Mitch McConnell this morning gave a 10 minute speech in the floor congratulating Biden. And, you know, know, Joe Sanka, like daily breathless, holding his breath. Mitch McConnell hasn't called him the winner yet. Mitch, Mitch McConnell also never called him the loser. Like and technically, you know, we we keep I keep saying it here, Morgan. This is this is not match play golf. You know, you don't you don't you're not president because because the other guy said that's close enough. You know, pick it up. You know, it, we'll, we'll count it. We we count the votes and you know all this consternation about oh this could happen or that could happen. It, at the end of the day, Mitch McConnell did what he always said he would do, which is recognize the winner and the. the we have a weird system of government where when the people vote, that's not actually the election and the election was held yesterday and he's president. Mitch McConnell gave a speech this morning. And hopefully that allays everyone's everyone's fears about some sort of weird, something weird happening. I, I did, by the way, over the weekend, like that uh, Lynn Wood, not only cut a part of his comments, but Lynn Wood basically suggested that the only way to stop a military coup from kicking Trump out of office is for Trump to have a military coup. So... <laughs> <laughs> A lot, of, yeah. a lot of crazy going around, but uh, Mitch McConnell has his 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 uh has acknowledged it. So I hope hope we can all move on beyond this weird contrived controversy over who has who hasn't said that he won. Um, kind of a yeah, tra- I mean, you say it was contrived controversy, and I will say, I mean, it doesn't take typically people that long to acknowledge who is kind of seen by every other reputable source 
as the winner of a presidential well, election. There, to be fair, there were some idiots who were who were who were still contesting it, but you know, Senator, you right. don't follow the Blaze, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but. Um, but I, I think that McConnell, look, McConnell is, is focused on one thing and one thing only, in my opinion, and that's remaining majority leader of the United States Senate. And I think McConnell was making a very calculated political decision based on the races in Georgia. Yeah. And so, you know, I think had there not been runoffs in Georgia, McConnell probably would have recognized with the rest of the reputable country that, that Biden had won the election. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm glad he did it. I'm not going to play sour grapes, but I'm glad he did it. Uh, and then the next question needs to be, why do we still have the Electoral College? So that's where that's, I hope we can go. Now, now we now we got a third podcast we can come back and take. We got, right. we got <laughs> election of judges and the Electoral College. Um, uh, well, I didn't I didn't I didn't comment on whether you should or shouldn't elect judges. I just said it's an important election since we have it. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, that, <laughs> right, that, and that, that makes sense. Um, one one last item I wanted to get to just to to generally make a statement you know i don't know if you all saw there, there was an incident at the uh at the university of kentucky uh, jewish center this weekend where uh, i guess somebody came up and was yelling uh some uh anti uh anti-semitic stuff at, at the crowd that was there to light the menorah somebody went up and tried to diffuse the situation and someone in the car i guess grabbed the guy by the arm and drug him up the street a little bit ended up kind of running over his leg and you know thankfully he's he'll be fine but you know was relatively seriously injured uh i, I just I, every time i see stuff like that i'm like how i don't understand how anti-semitism is still a thing like didn't like I, I just i don't understand people's minds who function that way that that and and, and this goes beyond anti whether it's you know anti-catholicism anti-semitism you know, I, I just i don't understand people's brains that process information this way and you know, for any conservatives that are listening to this, please, you know, tell your tell your your fans, your followers, this is just wrong. Like this, that's 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 not how we function in this country. No, I mean, it's it's what I mean, pick the adjective. It's it's despicable, shameful, awful, terrible, horrible, wrong. I mean, it's it's it, the problem I see, though, is the presence of this type of hate is nothing new, unfortunately. No, what we have seen. I think in the last four years is a resurgence on acting on this type of hate. And I think that is a reflection of leadership. You know, when you have someone who says there are good people on both sides in Charlottesville, then we have a problem. No, this type of hate is wrong, unequivocally wrong, period, full stop. Um, you know, people ask us, what can we do about it? We need to say it. We need to be upfront about it. We need to talk about you know, uh, loving and respecting our differences. And legislatively, I think we can take a concrete step. And this is one that has bipartisan support. You've seen me with Senator Neal and Senator Adams introduce a hate crimes bill in Kentucky, where we don't have a hate crime statute here in Kentucky um, that would that would make it easier to punish this type of terrible behavior. And, and I just, it, it, this is on both sides of the aisle too. There's, you know, that, that Jewish center has been beset by several vandalism issues in the past. You know, the Fayette County GOP headquarters was vandalized multiple times in the last four years. Um, a couple other, you know, the, the RPK's headquarters was van just, it seems like beyond just on the right or, you know, and I don't even want to say anti-Semitism is only on the right because it's, it's, no, it's, it's not. not. There are pl plenty on the left who are espousing similar things. You're right. People seem to be acting on it and taking a physical manifestation of it across party lines more, more often. And it's just, it's not, 
Well, first of all, vandalism is the stupidest way to protest anything. I would just like to throw that out there, but because it, it, it makes no point. <laughs> uh, but it, it does seem like people are, are more, I don't know if they're less afraid, more emboldened. I, I don't know what, what it is that's encouraging people to take physical action more frequently than they have the past decade or so. Yeah. Uh, and, and it needs to stop. And it needs to stop, like, like you said, from leaders on both sides um, you know, unequivocally denouncing it. But, you know, I also will say, let, you mentioned it. Sure, um, we say both sides. But as I see this, this particular type of hate, it does seem to be from not right groups, far right extreme groups. Um, but, yeah. But they need to be denounced by people they listen to. I, I think um, it's before to say not, not Republican groups. Right, right. right. Groups. <laughs> and, right I, groups. And, 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 and a lot of the, you know, stuff comes from the Democrat, the Democrat side, it's coming from the far left. And I would say it's people talk about politics being a bell curve. In a lot of ways, it's not. In a lot of ways, it's a circle. And you, you get down to the bottom and, the, you know, the difference between the far left and the far right, they may have a few ideological differences, but in a lot of ways, they're very similar and act very similar. But, but uh, that's why you know, it's important to get that. Yeah, people. I can't believe in 2020 we're having a conversation about the need to denounce anti-Semitism. Yeah, right? that's, I mean, well, like, that's, like I said, when it happens, I'm like, I'm like, how is this? Still, how is anti-Semitism still a thing? I don't understand. Um, all right, let's get on to to happier, more entertaining topics, which is the legislature. And uh, <laughs> that was a, that was a heck of a segue. Yeah, was really, wow. uh, let's call them the best in the business for nothing. <laughs> Um, and the, the 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 cats could use you, Trey. I mean, they need that type of that type of commentary out there right now. <laughs> Just a bit outside. Um, so I guess I guess Morgan, I'll open it up to you. What what do you see? And we had Damon on last week, and he kind of ran through a whole bunch of stuff that he felt were priorities. Um, I, I guess let's and I, I broke it up for Damon in, in this way, and I'll kind of let you handle it the same way if if if, if you want, which is kind of the everything's shadowed by COVID and the effect of COVID, but you have kind of the direct responses to things having to do with COVID those bills. And then you have everything else. Um, and I, you could almost put a third bucket, the, the one year budget that we'll have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess let's start with Maybe let's start with the budget. Cause that is somewhat bizarrely the easiest thing to handle. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it seems like the numbers, the numbers seem slightly better than what we thought they would be, but it's still obviously far below a normal, you know, a normal year. Um, you know, what do you, what, what do you see from, from your end, you know, knowing the situation that, that, that your caucus is in both in the house and the Senate and with the, with the 50, 50 plus one veto override we had in the state, you know, what do you see kind of for your side is, is the, is the priorities to, navigate through in this budget and make sure you know above and beyond everything else that you want to make sure you're working with with the majority to get done yeah well a couple of things one i'm going to take your your buckets and dump them out um, because (laughs) that's fine (laughs) um, this the budget is the response to covid uh you know as one of my predecessors a guy named david Karam, who served in the senate for a long time used to say the budget is the ultimate policy document in kentucky and so what i think you see the majority saying well we're going to make some responses to covid No, what they're planning is a political power grab that is a response to the governor's response to COVID. How the legislature responds to COVID is through the budget. 
How do we respond to the post-COVID economy? How do we respond to the small businesses and the families that are hurting, the unemployment um, that we know we need to be funding? How do we respond to, like we talked about already on this podcast, not just the education budget, which was underfunded before COVID, but now we come back in probably needs more resources to deal with things we haven't had to deal with before, or I should say we, we have had to deal with them before, but might have to deal with them in new ways, right? So we're going to need some more intervention money, potentially some more social workers, some more mental health counseling, that kind of stuff in our schools. We've needed it before, but now we might need it for different reasons and more of it. Um, so no, the budget is our response to COVID. And, and I start with something I have been saying for a couple of years now, so much so that I can like recite what I say verbatim <laughs> every time, um, which is we don't have enough money to operate the current needs and obligations of state government as it exists today, period. Now, we come from different sides of the aisle on this. And I will say there are different ways to handle it, right? You could raise revenue to do the things that we are trying to do right now as state government. Or you could cut a lot of the things we do as state government, right? And, and I'm not talking about waste, fraud, and abuse like you're hearing. We've cut waste, fraud, and abuse. <laughs> um, nobody in government likes waste, fraud, and abuse. Yes, you can, in an $11 billion budget, can you find something you might qu- classify as waste? Yes, but I'm talking about real significant, meaningful cuts, right? And what you ultimately see in Frankfurt is you see a hybrid where we don't make the meaningful cuts and we don't raise revenue. Um, well, I was getting a call there. I got to decline it. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, but, you know, as we're, as we're, um, we have this hybrid approach and that's what's gotten us to where we are. Well, right? you, you, know, so- you know, there, there's one thing that always sticks out to me is Steve Bashir during the 2007 governor's debate proposed a comprehensive government review of every program that, that's funded by state government. And he said, he said in that, uh, this, I think this is, I don't know if, the, if this was the primary, the, I think it was in general in 07. He's, and he said that we could free up about, Two, this is the no seven, so it's probably more money now. He said we could free, free up about two hundred fifty million dollars by eliminating duplicative programs. You know, programs that, that just there's two programs out there doing the same thing. They're both getting funded in statute. Go through and figure out who's doing what, and and you know, divide and conquer, and and just have one person in charge of one thing. And you know, it's stuff like that that, that never get never gets done. Where there there is real, and it's not it's not waste, fraud, or abuse, but it is. I, I guess it is waste, but it's not fraud or abuse or the way people normally think of it. It's, you know, they're popular programs, but the problem is there's another program over here doing the exact same thing. And there's, there's, there's administrative costs. There are real ways where we, we could, I think both parties would, would be okay with cutting spending, but it's, you know, it, it's, it just never gets done. Well, uh, no, I actually think it has been done. Uh, I'll disagree with you slightly there. Uh, Steve Bashir had to rebalance the budget during the recession something like 15 times because we're required to have a, a balanced budget. Then you had Matt Bevan come in who, I mean, cut significantly from government, got rid of a lot of what they consider duplicative programs, Got had the red tape initiative where they all wore those buttons with the red scissors on them. I mean, really cut a lot out of government. Got several of those um, for sale on eBay yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I can get you one for Christmas if you're, you know, I mean, <laughs> some of the problem, some of the programs that they thought weren't necessary or duplicative. I'll give you one example. One of them was unemployment. Well, un- so- unemployment's <laughs> got bigger. Uh, the unemployment was low. There wasn't, 
you know, this, they, they this, this was not the a first thing. They didn't have the staff and the resources. No, but, of course, it's not a first well, thing. But, but that's also, what, I mean, that's what they, government is, Trey. The computer you know, like, but the, the computer we, system in the background high, of that. No, if, if you, you have if, high insurance costs right now because you have insurance for when something goes wrong. You know, you staff and you make government available, but we've been cutting it. And, and my point is, look, either fund the things we are doing properly so they work well, or don't do them. But yep. we don't have anyone on. The, the governing side of the majority in government right now, who's actually proposing those meaningful cuts. I mean, give me a couple of examples of where the majority has really proposed in legislative spending cutting big government programs. They have super majorities. Pensions. <laughs> right. But, but they don't, but that doesn't affect the current budget. No. I, well, it, it would affect bond rating a little bit, uh, which affects spending at some level, but, uh, you know, I, I think that there's there's a lot that can be done on tax cuts. Certainly, like some of the some of the ways that we that we give tax credits and stuff. And I know that that's been much much kicked about and never really handled. Um, but also, I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, the the, the the biggest problem we got here, Morgan. I I, I know we're, we're kind of where you're going is we we tax the wrong things the wrong way. Now, I think you and I would probably disagree on what the right things the right way would be. But I think we could both agree that we tax the wrong, the wrong things the wrong way. And it's, it's yeah. because we've, we have this weird patchwork of tax code and, and we've, you know, we've ha- how many blue ribbon panels has there been on how we should reform our tax code and how many times has it actually been reformed? You know, we took one step forward, people went nuts and now we're kind of stuck in neutral that the, the, what, what the legislature did in 2017 is a wasted effort if you don't do the follow-up steps because you can't, you, we saw with Kansas, Kansas tried to make a, a huge leap in one year and they ended up basically bankrupting their school systems because they, they, they didn't produce enough revenue because you can't make that one leap in a single year. It's gotta be st- stutter stepped. And some years your taxes are going to go up. Some of your taxes are going to go down, but at the end of a 15 to 20 year process, you're going to have a tax code that taxes the right way, produces the revenue you need. And, you know, and I think it's, it's both sides. It's, it's, the Democrats are, are, and I mean this, like, not necessarily you guys in the legislature, but the Democrats out there in, in the public are going to have to, like, understand, hey, these guys aren't just, like, jacking around with your tax. They're, they're trying to get to a point, but they're going to have to, It's it's got to be slow, and you're going to have to pull off a Band-Aid somewhere to start, and you're not going to like some of the changes some years. You're going to like some of the changes other years, but, you know, you got to give it time, and the question is, does, in, in politics this day and age, does anyone have the patience both voter wise activist wise and legislator wise anyone have the patience to conduct a you know potentially two decade long reform process like that and it'll be interesting to see um you know and it will be on look i mean i try to work across the aisle whenever i can um and i stand up for my beliefs whenever i whenever i need to or have to um and i think you know that about me. Um, but at the end of the day, when you have a 75 person supermajority and 100 person body that's responsible for proposing uh, revenue legislation, you know, we, can't, we can't actually propose revenue legislation out of the Senate. They have to do it out of the House. Um, they can't hide anymore. Um, With great power comes had, great responsibility. <laughs> I mean, they've had a supermajority for four years and they don't act like it, right? Like, you know, I mean, it is kind of the story, and maybe you disagree with me, but the story has been like, oh my gosh, now the Republicans have a supermajority. The Republicans had a 63-person supermajority for the last four years. Uh, for three of those years, they also had the governor's mansion and a supermajority in the state Senate. 
Uh, and the only sort of revenue package they produced lowered taxes on the wealthiest Kentuckians and raised it on people who take their dog to the vet or their car to get fixed. Um, and we haven't seen any significant revenue growth from it. Well, so, I, 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 I think, you know, you're right. We have we, we, a lot of meetings on that small animal vet thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we've had, the, like, huh? we've had, oh, we've yeah. had the super majority, but to, we kind of, we kind of sort of have, because there's still conflicts inside the caucus that, you know, there, there was some stuff happened. Mistakes were made <laughs> and there's, you know, there's been conflicts in the caucus that have, that have prevented them being able to act as a, unified body by hope is as you as you cycle through more members and 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 get and, and there's also an issue that when you haven't been in leadership in 90 years take some time to get your get your feet up underneath you and yeah so uh, hopefully if, you, if you're, to move if you're about to make if you're about to make the argument that experience matters in government i'm all ears <laughs> <laughs> because that sounds like where you're going with this not, ex- um, not ex- they said they they campaigned on the fact they were ready and the reality is they were ready to enact a couple of campaign promises they've been making for a, a decade or more. They did it the first week. And then what have we seen? And the, the reality is, I, I think, and this is, this is where we have to rise above partisanship is now, right? You know, and Kentucky is at, I think, a crossroads because we have been given an opportunity. Uh, with every crisis comes opportunity. And one of the things that COVID has done that there's a silver lining is I think it's made a lot of people um, it's given people empathy, right? You've been able to see what other people are experiencing, how other, uh, how, you know, it's not easy to have job insecurity or to need unemployment or do these things. And, and there's, there's been some empathy created. There's been empathy created on the need for criminal justice reform and into systemic racism. Um, so I think we have an opportunity to come in. I think we have, we can pass some really good measures um, dealing with some of those economic justice and, and racial justice issues. I think we can, look at what state government does, what state government should be doing, and what state government needs to be doing, right? And ultimately, the majority gets to make those decisions. I'm going to advocate for what I think that pot needs to look like. But we need to take that opportunity, put in those changes to get Kentucky on the path forward. Um, because, you know, if we're seen as a state where we're lagging behind in racial justice, we're lagging behind in economic reforms are lagging behind in education and opportunity, then we're not going to be able to grow. And, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I think we all want the same thing. And as we want Kentucky to grow to be the best place it can possibly be and where our kids and our grandkids can come and have good opportunities um, to, to raise their families. Right. So I got, I got one on that kind of leading into it. Um, I, looking at some of the coverage that's been out there lately, I've thought, and I think a lot of people, but I, um, believe that an area that there is genuine opportunity to come together on an issue, bipartisan criminal justice reform, interest on both sides, maybe for different reasons, but there's financial elements, there's all this stuff, but as a combination of pardons, as a com- uh, early releases related to COVID and some other things that are out there in the media over the last, you know, several months, uh, it seems like maybe that the opportunity for that is waning right now because there's, I see, you know, factions that are really pushing back on it. Do you think that that's something that the legislature is prepared to, to take a stab at? Or is, it, is that just way too much here looking at a, a short session with everything else on the table? Yeah, this short session, I mean, it's a good point, Tom. And the short session with a budget, with the stuff dealing with the governor, um, with the fact we're, we're dealing with, you know, a hundred year flood and a pandemic, um, getting other things through the, it's going to be difficult, but it's important. And I do think criminal justice reform, there is still, 
it's a great area for bipartisan support because you know we talk about wanting the same things, and this is one where you agree on the goal, right? Democrat or Republican, we want our communities to be safe. So I think what people have finally done in criminal justice is really looking at a, again, a data-driven approach to it. What works, what doesn't work, what keeps our communities safe? What are some things where we can make some progress that's good for families, that's good for communities, um, and ultimately then, then can be good for our budget too, if you want to look at it, just a cold, hard fiscal reality. And so I don't know that we'll do some of the things that maybe we could have done before some of the things you mentioned, um, but I still think there are some steps we can take um, with, you know, a, a great example is bail reform, um, you know, and where we can, that will erase some of the costs on our jails, not as much our, our prisons, but our, our jail system, while also, you know, keeping families whole. I mean, there are people who are getting locked up on low level offenses, not because they're a danger to themselves or others, not because they're a risk of flight, that's the two reasons we have bail, right? But because they don't have access to $500 cash. And your economic status should never determine your access to justice, whether you live in far Southeast Kentucky, far West Kentucky, or, or even just you know, here in Jefferson County. Um, it, if a judge says, you know, this person's, they're, they're safe and they're gonna be able to, to come back to their court date, they don't need to sit in jail for a week because they don't have money. Right, well, let's let's uh, move along. We've got a, got a bunch of issues to get to, get to. Uh, historic racing had a hearing yesterday. Um, what what do you just kind of read the tea leaves? Where where do you think we're on that? I mean, it seems to me like that's kind of money we've already spent. So <laughs> they they it seems and, and also it's not it's not it appears like it's not going to require a constitutional amendment. So it 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 could be a pretty easy fix just to make sure that we don't cut off our nose to spite our face and lose that. I think Chris Otts tweeted at me and said that last year, the state got $15 million from it. You know, that's, that's not, not an insignificant fund. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, we should have historic racing. We should have sports betting. We should have full on casino gaming. I've been proposing those bills for years and I don't love it. Um, but you look at all our states, every state that surrounds us has full casino gaming, except for Tennessee. Now even Tennessee has sports betting. Um, Tennessee waited to do the lottery after we did. So this is the kind of stuff where we should do it. Uh, I don't think it's a difficult decision for us, but um, let's talk about uh, one thing I think that's gonna be really interesting in Frankfurt. We've talked about the super majorities. I, I think David Osborne, Speaker of the House has probably the hardest job in Frankfurt. And that's really saying something when you're talking about the fact you have a first term governor dealing with a global pandemic and a legislature with super majorities of the opposite party um, to say that somebody has a tougher job than he does. So Osborne's got a, a lot of different factions within their caucus that he's going to have to manage. Um, and one thing that I don't think people are talking about is the turnover in the legislature. Massive. You started to talk about, yeah, you started to talk about experience a little bit, Trey. And I was, I mean, I was half kidding with you, but, but serious, you know, and you look at the house right now, 21 members, of Osborne's caucus have never served a day in the legislature before and are coming in to deal with a global pandemic and a one-year budget that requires a supermajority. Um, I think there's probably 50 or more members of his of his caucus that have four years or fewer experience. Yep. Does that number sound about right? Yeah, I think so. Um, we flipped 17 and 16. Um, I think we had about eight new members uh, and 18 and then what, 20-something this year. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's just, and you just mentioned the flips in 16. <clears throat> yeah. That doesn't mention the people that retired that you kept the seat. Oh yeah. Um, no, it's, 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 
I, I mean, it, it's an opportunity. The, the good news is I trust some of the trust a lot of the, a lot of the older hands who've been there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've, we've gotten rid of some people that were, you know, I, guys I liked, but I don't want to like be in a foxhole for, for the long run with it necessarily, but you know, we've got some good people there who are the experienced hands and hopefully these, these new guys are going to listen to them and, and, you know, they'd be good people to learn from. No, I, I think so. Look, all I say is it's going to be a challenge. They've got, they've got factions in their caucus um, and it needs to get through uh, in terms of all those initiatives. It's a, it's a good way for us to get revenue um, in a state where, I mean, look, what are, what are our signature industries? Um, horse racing and bourbon certainly come to mind immediately. It's, it's amazing to me that a state with its signature industry is horse racing has a problem with gambling. Yeah. <laughs> um, infrastructure. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not lost to me that Louisville Morgan recently built a bridge and uh, how'd, how'd you guys pay for it? I forget. Yeah. Well, you can ask anybody <laughs> in Louisville how we paid for it. And if they don't hit you first, uh, then, then after hitting you, they will tell you uh, tolls, but uh, those bridges it, are told. It was a necessary project. You know, we have a yeah. bridge that uh, appears to be uh, on the path to reopening and uh, you know, the, many kudos continue to go out to Jim Gray on the job that, mm-hmm. that he's done, not just communicating with people, but uh, kind of organizing a rebuilding effort, which I think only a, a experienced general contractor in that position really could have managed. Um, but you know, what, and this is probably not a question for this session, but you know, what are your feelings on whether it's a special session or 22 and, and, and I keep, I, I got on to Damon, Damon about this uh, last week. Uh, it's not about gas tax. It's about modernizing the road funding formula, which was written in 1980 and assumed that all cars were gas powered and getting 10 miles to the gallon. We need to modernize our road funding formula, not raise gas taxes, modernize our road funding formula. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And, and your thoughts on, on, uh, you know, the Northern Kentucky bridge and, and, and tolls in general. Yeah, look, you're right. We need to modernize our whatever you just said. That was the nice uh, <laughs> consult, consultant language you just came up with. Um, we need we need more money in our infrastructure. Uh, Kentucky's roads and bridges are crumbling, and there's a couple of things that come to mind. One, that's bad, right? It's bad for you as a person. I mean, how many people? How many people have just had to have repairs done to their car because they hit a pothole or because something flew off the road and hit a windshield? Or you know, it's, it's time, it's money to you on your car because the infrastructure isn't what you deserve, right? So I mean, let's just start with you. Uh, you need better infrastructure, and it will save you money. It will save you time. Now let's talk about business, right? We are we talk about signature industries. We're a logistics hub. Where we are geographically located is so close to so many other points of population in the country that we need to continue to be a logistics hub where we have easy access in and out of our state. Um, and that can only be accomplished by having good infrastructure. So we, we've got to do it as, as a business need. And then let's just do it. Look, let's look at it as a cost. If we're ever going to fix it, right? There might be some people listening who just go, I don't care. I don't, I don't drive that much. Don't ever fix the roads. Fine. Okay. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Um, I don't right? think those people listen to this podcast, Marty. Yeah, but, but <laughs> well, they email my office. So, uh, diff, uh, diff, uh, different uh, audiences. Yeah, I'm, I'm cognizant of it. Uh, but if, if you feel differently than that, you think we should have some upkeep or maintenance of our roads and bridges. Uh, they're traveled. 
publicly, right? This is a, this is where government is needed is in, in projects like public roads. Uh, then it's cheaper to keep up with the maintenance than to let it fall behind and have to do a bigger fix. It's just like your house, right? If you fix something on your home uh, quickly, then it ends up costing you less in the long run. It's the same with our roads and bridges. And, and the more we defer this maintenance, that's the fancy way they say it, deferred maintenance. The more we defer this maintenance, this upkeep of our roads and bridges, the more expensive it's gonna to be to maintain them. As we are maintaining them, the less we can spend on improving and creating new ones. And so this is one of those things, you're right. We have to modernize um, our road funding formula. There you and go. Get it. There we go, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm imagining me and all of my siblings and doing all that stuff and, and driving in the big, you know, wood paneled station wagon, right? As a kid, um, those cars aren't on the road anymore. And that's how, that's how we figured how we would fund the roads then. And so we've got to, we've got to do a better job of it. And we got to, that's, that's where we got to put money. What about, what about the use of tolls? You know, be, being a Louisville and I'm sure, you know, it's, it's not a popular topic up there, but it's also unique. I'm not a end, fan of it. At the end of the yeah, day. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I'm not a big fan of it because, you know, ultimately it, it is something that, that skews regressive, right? Um, it impacts the people who have the least, the most. Um, so if, if you're, if you're in a more hourly or even a, a good, but decent paying hourly job and you're having to go across the river to it, then, you know, it's costing you a bigger percentage of your paycheck, but it's how we got the bridge built. Yeah. Um, and there is a sunset on those tolls, um, you know, first, I, I think it'd be more fair to modernize the road funding formula. I think that's a fairer way to do it. Um, and why we ultimately took tolls off of Kentucky roads, right? You know, a lot of Kentucky roads were tolled, yep. but we don't have toll roads. You go to other states, you go to Illinois, you go, if you go to <laughs> Pennsylvania, um, good God, Pennsylvania, yeah, Florida, uh, Florida you know, I'm thinking big. of all the roads that, that have, you know, big tolls on them. You see toll roads a lot. Um, again, I prefer we modernize the road funding formula in a fair way, but we do have infrastructure needs and you know, and the people in Northern Kentucky that, that want that bridge, you can look at Louisville and see how we got them. Um, unemployment insurance obviously had all sorts of problems. There's still, uh, uh, I think it was wave yesterday, read a report. There's still 85,000 people uh, waiting to hear, including some people still since, since March. Um, you know, obviously Democrats have blamed it on cuts in the Bevin administration. You know, we, that, I mean, that excuse only lasts for, for so long, we've had Andy Hightower on, who who was trying to help generate funds to update the the uh, software. He you know he said the software they're using was written in 1972. It doesn't you can't even have like a, an address to if you're if you're a if you're a business you can't give the state like a billing address to send it to while also having your physical address because it doesn't have space to put a second ad. There's just all sorts of structural issues in the back end of that. You know what do you what do you see? Uh, having the the ability to pass I mean, what would you guys support uh, the, the politics of the, of the situation aside to to fix unemployment and, and kind of modernize our unemployment system to where it, it's capable of scaling up and down as needed yeah of course we need a modern functioning unemployment system uh, i mean through all the stuff that's happened this year i'll tally it up total right at the, when we look through the, the year but my guess is that claims about unemployment are probably the number one issue that people contacted my office about this year. Um, and so, you know, I have, I have heard and so many stories, I've talked to so many people, you know, who, who just needed that help and were running in um, to, to a nightmare situation with unemployment. 
And a lot of those people we were able to get help. Uh, I'm happy about that. Uh, you know, yes, the Bevan cuts hurt that effort initially. There's no question about it. I don't think you see any anybody denying that. Um, I also think that it would have been very difficult to have an unemployment system that was ready for that massive influx of claims all at the same time. Um, I think that you would have seen private industry struggle with that. You certainly saw state government struggle with that. So yeah, we need, we need to modernize it, but you know, Trey, what is it going to take to modernize it? Money, 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 money. It's going to take money. The resources that we had at the time um, and looking at where we were vis-a-vis unemployment. I mean, one of the things that, and, and rightfully, I mean, the legislature is very reluctant to fund our infrastructure projects to nowhere. So I, I'll give you an example. One of the ones I'm familiar with is the human resource system for the state, right? PRIS, it's an acronym. It's one of those projects that, that over time, you know, the costs went up astronomically. It's a software package that's really sophisticated, but it's a completely different software package than what the state uses to actually pay its bills, which is the EMARS system. As we get into the ultimate level of wonkishness, um, I mean, you guys looking at the pension system and where we were as far as pension funding, if we had come in there and suggested that, say, updating that that IT infrastructure in the back of house was going to be a priority above pensions, when literally, I mean, we swept lots and lots of money out of health insurance, for example. I mean, we'd have been we'd have been run out of town, you know, tarred and feathered. Uh, it does go back to, to funding and priorities, but some of that stuff is just so wonkish, and it's. You know, you're, I mean, you're not you're not doing anything for somebody's district when you doesn't get anybody elected to update the back end computer system at unemployment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I can hear the representatives there that would have said, "Look, Tom. I mean, in all fairness, thanks for doing this, but unemployment is sub five percent. I mean, you know, come and, back and, and, when and, it's a problem." And, and even tell you, I got this early childhood development program that's going to cost twenty million dollars less than the computer mm-hmm. system is going to cost to upgrade. You know, what, what you want me to not do early child? Yeah, like it's it's a it's a priorities thing. Yeah, I'm being very nonpartisan this too. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. priorities. I- no, it, it, and it's, it's part of the, honestly, I and mean, what I hear you saying is something I've said for years. And I, I tell people this all the time, right? We try to agree on how much money we have to spend. We disagree on how to spend it. We try to agree on how much we have to spend. And what you've seen then is what I call the shell game of the budget, right? So what you say is, okay, this area over here is on fire. So we're going to take from this area right here that's not on fire and we think they can survive this cut for the next two years while we try to put out this fire over here. Uh, okay, well, we're not able to put it all back over there. So we're going to keep it a little bit lower. Now we've got this other fire over here. And you just keep moving, you know, the, the cups around hiding the ball. Um, and it, what you're talking about, Tom, is something that you're right. It, it's like with the road fund, what we're talking about. You've got to spend a little money that will ultimately save you money in the long run. And with these government programs, if you have them running effectively, it is better in the long run, but you've got to decide what programs you want, what programs you want to be working, right? Make those programs so they work and fund them. And then decide whether, you know, I promise I probably want some more programs and some more things that state government's (laughs) involved in than you guys do. but let's just be honest about what we want to do and how much it costs, right? And that's, I think, where we have to get with the budget. All right, let's let's get on to something that that, uh, and I, and I'll say my piece, and then I'll let you let you do yours, which is uh, <laughs> go, go, government government powers in in time of emergency. You know, I, I don't know what what package is going to end up passing in the, in the general. Assembly. There's like 14 different bills out there floating around. 
I'll say this, though, even if it was a Republican governor, I have a problem with the fact that a co-equal branch of government has zero part to play in this, even from an oversight standpoint. You know, I, I, I've, I think we're one of four states that has no that the legislature has zero uh, part to play in the process. I, I believe and I told Damon this last last week, I, I believe that we should keep narrowly focused and have something kind of like a program review committee that if the governor want after the executive orders there for 30 days instead of emergency, if he wants to renew it after 30 days, that 25 days before he has to say he's going to renew it, a some sort of standing committee has to hold has to get together, hold a hearing and and they can they can give a blessing. I don't know that we need the whole legislature to come back, but I, I do have a have a serious problem regardless of the party doing it. I have, a, I have a problem with the fact that there is no oversight. There is no no one to answer to that, that, that the legislature, the people's body has no say anywhere in the process, it, because I also think that the the lack of need for the governor to have buy in from the legislature has resulted in worse regulations, more kind of slipshod, uh, scattershot, uh, just kind of cat chasing a laser uh, re regulations because he's not getting feedback from people who are out there like you, like Damon, like a lot of who, who are getting calls from people. He's not getting that information. Uh, I think, I think that the process would have been better and there would have been more buy-in from Republicans had Republicans been involved in the process. So I, I personally think that we should go a, a, a pretty narrow route, but I do think the legislature should play a role after 30 days of, of, of order being in place. Um, and I'll let you say your piece on this issue that we know there's going to be something passed probably in the first week on, the, on this. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you my view on this, I truly believe is nonpartisan. Uh, it's more a philosophical standpoint based on the way state government exists today. And that is we have a strong executive in the governor because we have a constitutionally mandated part-time legislature. The constitution says we cannot meet after March 30th in an odd number year and after April 15th in an even numbered year. Even within that, we can only meet for a certain number of days. Uh, and so we are very limited in what we can do. And we put executive decision-making in the hands of an executive. And I told you, it's been frustrating for me to not be able to do more during COVID. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's why we run for office. We run to, uh, whether you, whether you like how we want to help people or not, we run to help <laughs> people. We run to solve problems. Um, it, it's not to be a hands-off person in the process. That's not why people put themselves and their families through the campaign and then the rigors of a session. Um, so I don't like the talk about the governor because I think the majority is doing this as a result of what governor Andy Bashir is doing. And the policy we're passing is not about Governor Andy Bashir. The policy we're passing is about the office of the governor and the institution of the legislature. Oh, but here, here's, here's what I'd push back on you a little bit, though. We, we do have that meets continually throughout the year and makes decisions. Mm -hmm. We have contract review and reg review. You know, what, right, what, but, what, what but would be in the harm in having some sort of similar committee? that would only fire into place in case in case of emergency just to make sure that there that there is a check and balance on on those decisions that are being made yeah i'll give you a perfect example i storm in west kentucky and there's one legislature on the committee you're talking about from western kentucky but the, but that wouldn't be a 30 day long emergency why not 
I mean, if I'd told you, if we'd had this podcast last year, I told you we were about to go into a, a year long global pandemic, you'd called me crazy. Um, and so, you know, the, what you're talking about and why I, don't, why I don't like your idea in particular is you're giving a very select few legislators. Um, and I, I'm not even talking about the party makeup of that group, right? You're giving a very select few legislators input over something that's really important, particularly that could impact areas of the state they don't represent. No, we did we did that on on a lot of issues. Again, like what? something like like, contra- what? like, like contract review or reg of, review. Pin- but they don't. But they don't actually have the authority. They can make recommendations, but the governor can overrule those recommendations. Well, so if maybe, you're telling me that you maybe, want this, maybe to be even a, maybe uh, even do it like that. I, I just I have a problem with the fact, and this this is this is purely from the good government side of me. Like I said, that if it was if it was Governor Ryan Corals were going through this, I would say the same thing. The legislature needs a vehicle for input because right now the governor is under no obligation to, and, and he has availed himself of this, of this privilege under no obligation to even speak to members of the legislature about, about the, the, about what he's doing. And yeah, I think that that's, and, I think that's wrong. Well, and, and, and I'll, I'll push back on you a little bit now too, which is one governor Bevan showed us how powerful the office of the governor is. I never saw any Republican once complain about the powers of the office. Oh, I think you heard a lot of Republicans <laughs> complain about I'm sorry. that. I'm sorry. I did hear them complain. I never saw them file a piece of legislation to change those powers. So Senator, um, I, have, I have a question there. And this was actually uh, something that was, that was asked me directly by, uh, by uh, an associate who's actually somewhere way up in the, the bowels of government right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we, we, we're still in the confines of like, we keep, we're always fighting the last war. And like, even with our educational system, we're like tied up in this agricultural calendar that doesn't necessarily reflect, yeah. you know, where Kentucky or where anywhere is right now anymore, right? The one that's, until I got to government and really got to a certain level, I truly did not appreciate the authority that the governor had to do reorganizations. I, I didn't, I mean, I knew what a reorg was. I knew about it as kind of like this administrative process to change things around, but I always thought about it as more just nuts and bolts, right? Like you change the name of the office or, you know, you can move some resources. We have a system now where a government kind of, a governor can effectively legislate, I mean, huge policy areas through this reorg process. So as a co-equal branch, like, again, I'm not, nothing with respect to either Governor Bevan or Governor Bashir. I mean, I, I'm surprised that that authority continues to reside in the way that it does. I mean, is it, is it both sides together? Is that something that you think will get changed? Well, you know, we saw, and that's a, an example of where Bevan really used the power of the office. Um, I didn't love what he did and how he did it. I do think even though we're co-equal branches, the chief executive should have a greater say over the executive branch than the legislative branch, just as a philosophical matter. So, um, I, I mean, I think, what you're getting to here is we probably all agree. We want, I'm obviously a legislator. I like the legislative branch. I think we play a really important part of the process, but no one's talking about the legislative reforms that could be needed, right? If you want the legislature to take a year long active role in how state government is running all throughout the year, and we can't leave on March 30th, I'd like to say get rid of signy die. Keep keep the dates the same, but get rid of signy die. And you got you because you could still have your committee hearings and those wouldn't count as legislative days. But you know, then then you only come back and gavel in when you got something to pass. You don't have these days where somebody's right. going to come in and play this play the the Kentucky you know my Kentucky home with the spoons and then gavel back out. 
you know, that you, you could you could actually make legislative days matter and important if, you, if you, you could do so anywhere pass, through the right? year. No, there's no, there's yeah. no way. I don't think you'd ever get that. I said, that's what I'd like well, to see. <laughs> to, to be clear, it's a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Right. I mean, these are not statutes. I mean, the con and, and I'm not, this is where I said I, I can be nonpartisan. The constitution is crystal clear on what the legislature can and can't do. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, you know, that's why you didn't even see anybody try to call ourselves back into session or do something like that. I mean, it's, it's clear what we can and can't do in that regard. So I think part of, what the legislature is missing in talking about these executive, I think they're taking a political shot at the governor. I think they're making a, a power grab for the legislature. But then what happens? Well, I think What's they the responded to constituents. Behind? Constituents are mad that that they feel like their voice have not has not been. They've had no input in the process. That business owners have have not been heard. And I I think yeah, is it political? But, yeah, but I think it's also a reaction to to constituent feedback. Yeah, but but, th but think about what you just said, Trey. When people say, I, I love that when people say they haven't been heard. Um, did they vote? Because they voted for the governor. The governor is elected by the people and, and, you know, he's going to be up and in front of the people again, based on what he's done and what his record is. I mean, you know, Governor Bevin got elected by the people and I, and I, I kept hearing people all the time say about him, I'm shocked that he would do this. Really? Are you? Um, <laughs> did you? Did you watch any part of his campaign? <laughs> and then he was back up in front of the people and he didn't get reelected. So, you know, I, I, we elect a central executive. That person is up every four years. Um, and I think that's probably a good amount of time. I don't think you want the, the chief executive running every two years. Uh, you know, just because the governor hasn't done things people wanted doesn't mean he hasn't heard them. And one thing I will say you know, I've talked to the governor throughout this process. The governor has talked to the legislature, certainly more than is being reported by the press and even sometimes the legislators. This weighs on him. This is not something he wanted in his first year of governor. It's a crisis he's had to deal with. And whether you agree or disagree with him, and look, there's times I've agreed, there's times I've disagreed, and there, you know, there's, we've got that going for us. But, but I can tell you that he takes it very seriously, uh, that it's weighed on him, and and I do believe that he and his team think they're making the best choices for the long-term health of Kentucky. And so, you know, for people who say they haven't had their voices heard, does that mean we're in, we're in politics? We have to make decisions, yes or no. Uh, I hear people all the time on tough legislative issues and hear their points of view and, and sympathize and empathize with them, but might vote a way they don't want me to. That doesn't mean I haven't heard them. It just means that ultimately I don't think it's the best thing Yes. The state. Different difference between representative uh, democracy and direct democracy. You know, are you voting that, for, that, are you that, voting for someone because you trust right. their judgment, or are you voting for them to be a to be a, a poll taker? <laughs> yeah, just move right. to California. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, so, so I do think that you know that idea that people have the governor's not hearing other people. I, I don't buy that. I, I do think this is a power grab by the legislature, and the reason I don't like it is because what's on the back end, what no one is proposing, and what hasn't changed is how the legislature meets. And so if we're going to give ourselves more, uh, much more say in this, um, I'm That's, interested to see how we do it. Like I said, I, 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 would, I would be a fan of a constitutional amendment that gets rid of signing die and just gives you 30 yeah. days. You use, use, them where, use them where you want. I also think you, you would get rid of the, you would get rid of the ridiculous days that you're burning days with like introducing pages and then leave. Uh, yeah. You would also make the legislature more flexible to be able to respond to, to crises as needed. I, I, just, I like that as a very simple 
as a, and I think the people would buy that, that, Hey, we're not, we're not saying we're going to be in session more days. We're just saying that we're, we're going to, we're going to give some flexibility on when we use them because the calendar as it is, is, is arbitrary. Well, we're always That's fighting. Right. It's like, we're always fighting the last war, right? Yeah. Like we, we did uh, mock disaster exercises when I was in state government. One of the things we were actually focused on the most likely disaster. So we were looking at a significant new Madrid event. What was our ability to continue to keep the lights on to make sure that employees continue to get paid, that they had access to their health insurance, so they weren't denied access to care? I mean, basic, you know, continuity of life type of issues. You know, honestly, that's if you look at your your uh, emergency management people, that's 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 the next big one after this. That's their you know four star event, and I, I I can see, you know, your your position on you know, giving them the dates to do something with actually has a lot of merit under that scenario. I don't like this yeah. thing where you can just read, you can have a new executive order, a new emergency executive order on top of a new executive order. And it does, it does compromise that ability for, you know, forget legislative input, citizen input, but I just, yeah. All right. Well, Morgan, we're, we're going to get you back to, to your wife and kid managing here, but let's, let's run through a couple, <laughs> let's run through a couple things real quick. And then I'll give you, give you a chance to, to, uh, to, let me know if I missed anything that that you guys are going to be focusing on as a caucus. Obviously, in response to Brianna Taylor, there'll be there'll be something having to do with with reforming police powers. Uh, you feel pretty confident something's going to pass in that on that front. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need to ban no knock warrants. I think you see bipartisan agreement on that. We'll see in what form that comes. Um, we need to ban no knock warrants. I'd really like to see us do some other meaningful reforms. Um, we need to look at empowering those civilian review boards so they have some. Uh, type of teeth or ability to do their job. I think that's a really important aspect of it, as well as looking at some of the other things, the training, the procedures, um, the chokeholds, body cameras. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different things along that front we need to look at. And then we've mentioned some of them, getting into actual criminal justice reform, uh, bail reform, and some of those those areas are, are, are big, not exactly directly related to Breonna Taylor, but, but certainly can uh, complement each other. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before sports gaming. I don't see much of a chance this session. What do you think? I mean, do I do I bring out the pun and say I wouldn't bet on it? Bet on it. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, oh, hey, oh. I mean, it's guys, it's it's dad joke central around here right now. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. No, I mean, I, it it is a such a missed and wasted opportunity that we don't already have it. Um, it it pains me to say that I think it, it probably doesn't happen, but. I'm a, I'm a Democrat um, in Kentucky, so I'm an optimist. So you know what? I won't, I won't say never. I, 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 lo- I lost uh, thanks to the, uh, to the Vikings. Was it the Vikings that didn't cover? Uh, I, had, I had seven of eight teams in a, in, a, in a parlay this weekend. A friend of mine went to Vegas and lost because somebody didn't cover. But you know, I could be doing that every weekend and giving the state some money if we had sports gaming here. <laughs> yep. did they, did exactly they really right. go to vegas or did you just like no 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 drive no. up to henderson to make or across no, the river he, and he make was the he, 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 he sent me the, the the screen caps from the bellagio app where he was staying uh <laughs> <laughs> um tom what else what else you got i'm trying to think of some of the other stuff that damon kind of ran through and some of the other stuff that, that you and i both heard that people would like to see but i mean because it's going to be such a weird session because you got the yeah. the budget and covid and uh uh conversion therapy uh, there's a lot of people uh, pushing. Do you, do you think, I don't think, I think the votes are probably there. Do you think there'll be time to get to it in session to ban conversion therapy? I sure hope so. We've, we've seen a lot of movement on that. Um, yeah. I think I, I was the first person to propose that in the state Senate a couple of years ago and, and people kind of snickered when I did. And now, you, you know, you've seen D 
the American Pediatric Association, the Kentucky Medical Association, the Kentucky Pediatrician Association, the Kentucky Psychologists, the Kentucky Psychiatrists, American I mean, all the sort of, you know, mental health and medical experts have said there is no value whatsoever in this practice and that it hurts kids. Look, the Kentucky Medical Association won't even take a position on medical marijuana and they've come out against conversion therapy. So maybe we should listen to them. We should do it. It's a bill that costs us no money. And it's one of those things that does it impact a whole bunch of people? No, but it, the people it does help, it helps a lot. It, it, and, it, it'd, be, it'd be a good bill. You know, you guys always look for, look for bills that you can pass that like second or third week when yeah. everybody's still not negotiating budgets, but you got to look like you're doing something. You know, that, yep. that's, that's, that's yep. a good bill you can fit there. I guess the last one that I've got is, um, you, you just mentioned it, medicinal marijuana. That, that, yeah. I mean, do you, do you think there's any, any chance on that one? Um, I mean, the Senate has sort of indicated no um, on that one, which is unfortunate. We should absolutely, we, we should be having a conversation about recreational marijuana and, and already have medical marijuana. So um, again, it's one of those things that, look, you look at the states around us that are doing this, um, you look at just the fact that we've made uh, legal as narcotics, things like Oxycontin and morphine um, that have really you know, ruined families in Kentucky. And uh, I think we should, I think we should absolutely be able to have medical marijuana. Tom, you got any, any other issues on the tip of your mind? I was going to say smoke them if you got them. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan, is, 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 is there anything else that we haven't covered that is a caucus you guys are, are focusing on? You know, I mean, yeah, as, as a caucus, we're going to certainly be laying out our own agenda um, and one that favors workers, one that favors wages, one that favors economic growth in Kentucky in the way that we see as, as the best possible. And we're also going to be looking to work with the majority when we can. Um, you know, I think there are issues that at the end of the day, really good policy um, can oftentimes come from buying from both parties. So, you know, hopefully we will work on some of these criminal justice issues. Um, some of these affordable housing issues. I think affordable housing is one of the things that we're not talking about enough in Kentucky. Um, that again, that economic injustice that it doesn't matter if you live in a disadvantaged area of Kentucky, no matter where you are, what you look like, um, you are suffering many of the same problems and finding that commonality and fixing problems for the people who need it most is what I think is the utmost responsibility of government. All right, last, last question. Uh, what are you going to make Damon do to embarrass himself at the Chamber of Commerce video taping this year? I do have a suggestion because, uh, you know, Adam Edlin uh, on one of, one, of the, one of his appearances said that, uh, said that you're, you're quite the expert rock, uh, rock band, the Guitar Hero player. You ought to uh, uh, yeah. ch- challenge, challenge Damon to a, to a Guitar Hero du- duel. Uh, I, you know, I have not picked that up in a long time, <laughs> but I, um, who knows? Who knows? Maybe we could still make it work. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll, we'll try to think of something. I don't even know. I haven't heard from the chamber. I don't know that they'll do the big event this year, how they'll do it. Um, yeah, I don't, they certainly can't do a dinner. I don't, I don't know how no. they would. I don't know. It'd be heavily attended. <laughs> <laughs> think of the money you'd oh. save. Yeah. <laughs> you can do cutouts, like all the lobbyists at the tables. You there can you have go. like cutouts of different people. And... <laughs> Just say. All right. Well, Morgan McGarvey, thank you for joining us today and talking through uh, talking through your thoughts on the upcoming legislative session. No, thank you guys. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Same to you. And as you always, do. you can get us wherever you uh, stream podcasts. If you get us on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us a review. And we'll be back with you on Thursday on another Kentucky Politics Weekly.